Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Interesting, Dennis. My background actually started in academics. You know, uh, I come from a family that takes uh, education still quite serious. So went to university and did all that, but started quite out as a generalist, studied economy, and then later specialized in industrial psychology, which is a subject that I came to really fall in love with because it's not really the clinical psychology of working one-to-one with a person, but it's more the psychology in a group dynamic and what happens when you put a bunch of people in a room. So relevant for corporate today and teams, especially with the type of challenges leaders are facing now is remote teamwork, you know, where you want to keep people engaged and, and, and really impact them, but not with them necessarily with you all the time. So I started in, in academics, then moved over to, to corporates. I really, really got an incredible interest at a young age on what's happening in the boardrooms of the world. And we normally joke about it, but I got approached by the Secret Services and Varsity um, and the whole process of them talking to me about industrial espionage and all that really got me interested in what happens at, at the top, what happens in the boardrooms, what happens from a psychological point of view, what happens from a strategic point of view. So I went into corporate, very much into risk and compliance and even labor legislation at some stage and all that. And then at some stage got out into the entrepreneurial world where I started to now consult back to these very corporates that I've worked for. So during that time, I was involved in a few corporate drug busts and interesting things as well. So it's a whole spectrum of corporate, but I would call it corporate psychology. That, that's a quick summary of my background. Wow. So Secret Service, wow, that would have been really exciting stuff to, to be around. And yeah, imagine what it was like uh, for you to be in the boardroom with with leaders as well. And, and did you actually get to to work with boardrooms and, and, and leaders in those boardrooms a lot? Well, it is my daily job. Um, from a very young age, I was sort of uh, like the right-hand the right hand person to the CEO. So even though I was working in corporates and had a job, it always felt to me that I was an intra-consultant, a person who's consulting in the role of an employee. So when I make the leap, made the leap from employee to consultant and then later entrepreneurship, I always found myself in that, that uh, second to the CEO role where I was acting as the consultant to the CEO. So that naturally led me to the position where I was always part of listening, 
engaging with and advising C-suite leaders, which is a space which I'm very, very comfortable in. And even today as an entrepreneur, you know, me and my partner, Mike, really, really work with high level premium leaders like yourself, Dennis, because we're just so comfortable in that space. And because these are the people who really, really make a difference, really impact large amounts of people. Yeah, great. Thank you. Hey, uh, Landy, here's a, here's a great question in the sense of who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or could they could be from history. Who is your favorite leader and why? You know what? Uh, I would say my parents, Dennis. My, my parents, both my mom and dad, has just taught me so many valuable things. And you know what? You don't know that when you're a child. And the irony of this answer to your question is that you know, my dad was very corporate. Um, he's not with us anymore. So obviously I got a lot of corporate teachings from him. Um, but my mom was not corporate at all. And so from her, I got a lot of teachings in love. And so that has really brought together in me the eagle eye of looking at things strategically in a corporate context, but also the love that's associated with leadership and the, the fact that ultimately we are here to serve as a leader. We're here to serve people. We're here to inspire people. And not everyone is our people. You know, we all have our audience. We all have people that resonate with us and we, we have people who don't. But I think as a leader, there's a sense of responsibility and accountability. And my dad has given me the analytical mind and my mom's given me more the creative mind. And I think it's the bringing the two of those together that makes for, for a powerful leader today. Yeah, great. And and when you talked about with your parents and and the servant leadership side of things. Can you tell us a little bit more or give us an example of where you've actually done that servant leadership side of things and why that's important for people? To serve as a leader? Yeah. I think, Dennis, you know what? A lot of people, and I think during this time now especially, a lot of people have not had a stable upbringing. From there on, a lot of people has gone to schools that's not necessarily taught them right. Me and Mike is putting a lot of heart and soul and work at the moment into working with some of the educational institutions and schools around the world in order to get people to see their education from a whole new perspective, to start seeing the holes in their education, to see where, even though they had well-meaning parents and even though they had well-meaning teachers and academics and business schools and whoever trained them, that there's holes in our education as leaders and there's holes in our education as entrepreneurs. So for me, serving people as a leader means helping them filling those gaps, helping them see, look, I have the following aspects about myself. These following eight things that I do is absolutely incredible. But because of these two things, these two pieces in my education that didn't went right, I can be so much more. There's so much more potential for me. Um, you know, a simple thing is confidence. And here I'll bring the example in of my parents. And, you know, my, my mom and dad has been from a very young age, very adamant about the incredible importance of a healthy confidence. Because if you don't have a healthy confidence, you view the world in a way where you feel either unresourceful or you're distrusting or you're constantly comparing yourself or you think everyone has their knife in for you. And so you're so busy giving out energy, competing with this world or trying to, to validate yourself that you completely forget that you're working here with people that needs your inspiration, that needs your hope, that needs your intelligence, whatever it's, it is that, that you bring into the world. So 
My parents in that regard as an example, as my leaders, has never allowed me to slide. And, and with slide, I mean, is to never view me as something that's lesser than. So Dennis, I was one of those people who went to university having no idea what I wanted to do. I started studying accounting and after one year, I realized that was definitely not for me. So I finished that degree, but I also finished a law degree. And I guess since then, I have had a number of career turning points where I've practiced law, I've gone into HR, I've ended up running outsourcing deals around the world and, and designing operating models. And, and so now what I do is combine the legal aspects and the change management aspects, and it's a lot of fun. Awesome. And when you say a lot of fun, what's the fun part about it? I mean, change is change. Isn't that difficult? I love coming into organizations, Dennis, where they have a huge gnarly problem and they just don't know where to start. And often there are leaders that people are looking to, and those leaders don't want to say they don't know where to start. And so I love mm-hmm. building relationships at a senior level, but then dropping right down to people on the ground and, and helping them through that change. Yeah, awesome. Mark, if I was to ask you who your favorite leader is, now this person could be alive or they could be, you know, from history. Who is your favorite leader and why? You know, Dennis, it's interesting you ask that. There's a lot of people who have influenced me, but I've got to tell you that hands down, the greatest leader in my view who has ever walked this earth is Jesus. And whatever views you have of religion or Christianity, his leadership, in my view, is unequaled. Uh, the way he led himself and those around him is remarkable. And, I, and I'll offer a few thoughts on that, Dennis, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. The interesting thing is that if you pick up any good book on leadership, you'll discover that Jesus lived out all of those main leadership principles. In fact, many of the books draw on the things that he said and did. And we're really just rediscovering the life he lived now uh, and we're putting it into leadership books. For example, today's buzzword is servant leadership. In other words, to be a great leader, you have to serve those who you lead. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He just did that. And get this, he did it at the age of 30, which is remarkable. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing that really astounds me when, it, when you think about him as a leader is he was a guy who entered life with all the hurdles you could imagine, all the obstacles. He was born without a biological father. Just think about that. People looked at him and said, you're illegitimate. They had another word for him, Dennis, which I won't say, but that's what they, <laughs> that's the way they saw him. He was from the smallest and most insignificant clan of the Jewish race. They knew that. And he was from a place called Nazareth that was so small, it's where the shepherds used to dwell. In fact, there was a saying that went around and it was, can anything good come from Nazareth? Imagine coming from a place like that, wanting to change the world. He had no formal training. So with all of that background, he changed the people around him. He broke down a, a political and religious system and he, and he changed the world, let's be honest. He changed it for thousands of years and to the point that people were willing to die for him. He never wrote a book, but they say, I've heard it said that the, the libraries can't contain the books that are written about him. So why do I consider him as my favorite leader? Well, he demonstrates that leadership's not about where you were educated what position you have in a company, who you know. Leadership is all about who you choose to be. So that's someone who I've, I've just been meditating on the last, you know, last few months from the you asked that question. Yeah, amazing. And so uh, the person you want to be, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people that go into organizations or they have a title or they've been in an organization for a long time and their whole identity 
is around that role or around that role organization. So what you're saying here is that, you know, who do you want to be as a person? Is is that what you're saying there, Mark? Is that Absolutely. And some of the most remarkable leaders I've worked with are not people with titles. They're people with influence. They're people who have chosen to be who they want to be. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing is there's that word influence, right? So that's real leadership whereby people can influence others as well. And if you can't influence, then you're probably not a leader. Or if you're out for, as uh, John Maxwell says on a lot of times, he says, if you're out uh, going for a walk and you, you've got a group of people following you because you've influenced them, that's great. If you're out there going for a walk and you're by yourself, you're just going for a hike. So um, can you give us a little bit more about your background, please? I can, but I, I have to start by saying how fascinated I am by your subject and the show that you do. I think it's so important because I think there are two constants that are with us now with regard to leadership. And one is that we have complete disruption that is not going to disappear. And disruption is something that I view as positive. I thrive on disruption, but a lot of people don't. Some people, some leaders can use disruption actually in a negative way. I've uh, worked for and I've had clients, for example, that run their companies by making disruption the rule of the day in order to control people. That's the negative use and employment of disruption. I've seen people who use disruption to create growth, uh, which is tremendously important. Uh, The second phenomenon that we have today is we have this tremendous leadership gap. So I have examined uh, through my work in writing in leadership over 300 or 400 different schools and university and education systems around the world. And we have more leadership institutes more leadership centers, more training programs for leadership today in the world than we've ever had before. But guess what we have less of? We have less leadership. So uh, this this is a conundrum to me. I don't understand why it is. In fact, I myself started a leadership institute. When I was running a school, I was doing a turnaround of a a prep school, and I thought, I'm going to convert it into a leadership center. And so I I went down this path of creating true leadership incentives and training. And I brought in people who could mentor these people and and provide great examples. But I, I figured that the reason we don't have great leadership today is we don't have as much conviction to lasting principles as we've had before. And we have people who are trying to promote themselves. And by that, I mean, egos that are trying to promote themselves. So we have this phenomenon of influencers that have taken the place of leaders. And you know what I mean when I say that people today, they want to be influencers because they make money from it. So you see people talking about leadership that if they get up a million followers, then they get companies, oh, drive my Mercedes Benz for me, wear my Prada suit, all this kind of stuff, right? So that's what they're looking for. But are they truly trying to enhance culture? So social media has degraded culture by cheapening it and taking away accountability. So when I was running, going back to that school for a second, so I had to lay off some people. So I was hired by the trustees of of this school, basically to work out the investment side. So once I got into it, I saw all this corruption and they said, oh, you have to be the head of the school. And I said, I'm not going to be the head of the school, but I'll help you out for a period of time and I'll hire a new head for you, right? Well, I ended up spending two years there and I saw that the lack of conviction and commitment to 
morals, and I'm not talking about sexual mores, but I'm talking about honesty, integrity. These are things that are the rock bedrock, basically, that leaders in the past have used to speak from. So today, I just saw this replacement of, and, and this is really at all ages and all groups today, replacement of leadership with ego. So you asked me that. I'm sorry that I interjected that little coda there or the opposite of a coda, that little intro there, but you really got me turned on to leadership there. But I'll tell you about the first job I ever had in a leader that I worked for now. He was transformed. So I went to work for the family office and founder of General Motors. No, no slouch, right? So this was his uh, foundation. And uh, the third week that I was there, I was sitting at my desk and I heard machine gun fire through the front doors of our office, these glass, plate glass front doors. So they were crashed, cracking glass everywhere. We didn't even know the word terrorist at the time, but we grabbed our phones and dove under our desks, right? So these were six ski mask gunmen who were there to not take us hostage because we, we were valueless, but they wanted to take hostage the son of the wealth creator. So he got thrown into a room size safe Today, kids wouldn't know what a room size safe is, but it's a room with a big door on it and you turn the lock and you know, you protect it. So he was thrown in there, right? So this is what happened. So after five hours, we were led down the fire escape by the SWAT team who got rid of the terrorists and there was no loss of life. The terrorists were arrested, but this is what happened. So that man, he was thrown into this room size safe. He was obviously terrorized, right? So when he came out, he emerged as a new person. Hmm. This is what happened. This was a man who was a son of great wealth. He was a wonderful person. And, and he was a personal friend of, of mine and my family. And he was, you know, he was, he was an upstanding citizen, but he lacked fire. He lacked leadership ability and he lacked any kind of passion in his life. I think because he was a son of wealth and, and he didn't really have to go out and change the world uh, to make money, right? His father did that. His father created the automobile, right? So he becomes a brand new person. And he says to me in three weeks after that, he said, Jim, I want you to create, I want you to pull together our trustees and our staff. And I want you to put on, I was 20 years old. He, he said, I want you to put on a planning session, a strategic plan called, that we, we, we had to answer the question, are we having an impact? Are we having an impact through our philanthropy and through our investing? So I had to develop algorithms that would show us whether every dollar we were spending in both of those categories was having a desirable impact and what that impact should be. That is, are we moving the needle in terms of improving public housing? Are we moving the needle in terms of, of making enough money by our investments to satisfy the cash requirements of the family, but also the things that we should be focused on? So it was an enormous project. This man, for the rest of his life, and he had 30 more years after that, he, he became vibrant. He was turned on to life. He was a completely changed person. And I wrote an article about this several years ago, and I didn't want to be presumptuous just taking my view of this gentleman. So I wrote, I sent the, I sent the article to one of his daughters or his daughter. And I said, would you corroborate this? Because you know, today you can be challenged with all kinds of people saying, well, you were lying, you weren't telling all this kind of stuff, right? So she said, absolutely. I saw this change take place in my father as well. So what I'm bringing out here is that the extreme adversity, uh, the man must have been scared out of his, I mean, we were scared to death. 
he must have been scared out of his wits, right? So a lot of times, and this is what we have taking place. Um, I was a speaker at a group uh, yesterday morning about about what we have going on in this country in terms of race and what we have in terms of Black Lives Matter and, and all this sort of thing. And so there was a tremendous discussion about, you know, can you affect change without disruption? Well, usually not. You know why? Because people don't change. Typically, they don't change unless they're in pain. And even when they're in pain, they rarely change. And this is something that is, I think, fundamental to leadership training is to, in in my new book, I talk about that the voice you speak with, the words you speak are rarely heard by the listener the way you think you're speaking them. So if I was to say to you, Dennis, hey, let's grab a beer after work, you might think, oh, Jim is saying to me, someday, let's grab a beer after work. Whereas I may be saying today, let's gra- grab. So that's a simplistic mm. example, right? Yeah. But rarely are your words or your actions taken the way you intend them to be. And that's largely because we don't have much capacity in terms of understanding and feeling the pain of other people. And I think that came full circle to me yesterday morning when I was on this podcast that had to do with race, that when this young man who was leading the podcast, who was an African-American, he said to me, do you know what it's like to drive in a car and to fear every minute you're driving the car that you're going to be stopped, pulled over and arrested for doing nothing, no, no abuse of the law? And how could I say to him, oh, yes, I empathize with you. It's ridiculous. Hmm. And, you know, the ability, I think, as a leader to not only communicate effectively, but to lead has so much to do with your ability to understand the people you are leading and what their pain is and where their hurt is and what their challenges are and what they're really asking for. And in order to do that, I think, again, this goes back to why we don't have as many great leaders today. You really have to feel the pain of the people that you're leading. You know, we had the tremendous failure of leadership on the part of so many corporate CEOs, like the famous case of the British petroleum guy who, after the great biggest oil spill in, in the history of mankind, he says he wants to be back on his yacht in England, you know, enjoying himself. I mean, that, that's, he obviously, he lost his job and a lot of equity value for BP, but, you know, it's, it's unthinkable that someone in a modern age and in, in a job of heading a massive global corporation like that could even speak those words, but Mm. it certainly betrayed him. Yeah. Yeah. Sounded more like he was out of touch with his actual audience, of course. Uh, Yeah. So James, uh, what you've just shared with us there right in the opening has just been really awesome and just some fantastic stuff about disruption. And and the very first thing you said about disruption, people thrive in it, people are positive about it and people are negative about it. I just love the way that you've shared that as well. Um, going right through to even what you just said in the last statement just then about, you know, about how can you, if you've got to listen as a leader, you have to understand your audience for sure. Uh, it's really, really important. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 